Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand that you, Tony, as a young kid, which brand made an impact on you? This is an easy one. Chuck Taylors. So I grew up uh, as a basketball player. My uh, dad played at Indiana State, so it was always expected that I was going to play basketball. And there was nothing like going to the sports store and getting a brand new pair of Chuck Taylors. So you start brand new pair at the beginning of basketball season. You'd wear them all the way through and then hope to get another pair at the at the beginning of the next season. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Tony Wells, Chief Brand Officer of USAA, a fully integrated financial services organization that serves U.S. military families, including veterans. The USAA is nearly 100 years old, founded by 25 U.S. Army officers in 1922 in San Antonio, Texas, and now has 13 million members, 35,000 employees, and a net worth of $35 billion. Tony and I go back almost a decade when he was CMO at the security firm ADT, and we've been friends ever since. He's a brilliant marketer and has served as CMO in four organizations, 24-Hour Fitness, ADT, Schneider Electric, and now USAA. Tony's a U.S. Naval Academy graduate where he starred on the basketball team and later served his country as a Marine infantry officer in the U.S. Marines. He's been a member of the USAA for 35 years and is now the first chief brand officer of the company. We'll get into that and a lot more. This is my conversation with my friend, Tony Wells. Tony, welcome to the CMO Podcast. We are recording this episode on September 11th, a date 19 years ago that changed America and of course changed our military. I'd like to ask you, where were you on that day? Wow. A great question, Jim. I was in Thousand Oaks, California. I was uh, working for an IPG agency called General General Motors R Works. And literally it was uh, six something in the morning and my phone started ringing and everybody turned on the news, but uh, literally was in a, a corporate apartment uh, having just moved to, to Thousand Oaks, California. Wow. Yeah. I was at Disneyland, Disney World at their training center with, I was just appointed P&G CMO. It was my first month in the job. And I had the 25 top marketing directors about to be promoted to general manager from all over the world with me for a week-long training immersion. 
Wow. And we were beginning and kicking it off at nine o'clock that morning. So a woman from Disney who looks shaken comes into the classroom. I'm speaking. And I thought, did, did something happen to my family? She looked awful. And she walks up to me with a note saying, the U.S. is under attack and we have to go for shelter. So, I mean, we didn't know a whole lot at that time, but of right. course, Disney World closed. They were, a, a, you know, quote, target. But we immediately had to go for shelter. No one knew what was going on. We had all these different cultures represented from around the world in the session. So we ended up being sort of, you know, locked together for a week. No mm -hmm. one could get out. No of our, none of our speakers could get in. So we just resolved among ourselves to get to know each other better for the week and help each other think about how to deal with what's going on and to kind of make it a different kind of leadership week. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It's a somber day. And I think um, the whole philosophy around never forgetting and just the impact that that's had on our country and I think you know, brought the threat of terrorism to, to our shores is just, uh, like I said, a day that we're never going to forget, especially for those that have served in the military community. It, uh, it changed a lot uh, as it relates to the military. Yeah. Could you speak about that a little bit more? I mean, you represent 13 million members within USAA of our military and veterans. What does this mean for them? What, what do you do on this day at USAA? I mean, is there anything about this day that's you know, significant for your rituals and, and kind of uh, how, how you approach your members? Yeah, it's just a day where you're really uh, somber and paying respect, um, not only to the uh, thousands that lost their life on that day, but just what happened after that in terms of uh, the country's um, war on terrorism and how that changed the operational tempo for so many different military uh, units and personnel. And so it's just a day that just um, is special to take time out. Obviously, if we were all in the office, we would uh, be remembering the day, but um, it's just one of reflection and um, the hope and the promise that, you know, we never want that to happen again and that, um, America benefits from a, a strong military that can uh, protect our borders, protect um, our way of life. So it's just, uh, it really means a lot to those that have served in the military. And that actually had a lot of our members uh, provide them, it provided them a reason to get into the military or to, to re-up in some cases. So um, it was a turning point, I think, for, uh, for the military here in, uh, in the U.S. Tony, I said this in our introduction to this episode. Uh, but we should disclose, I think, when we're together earlier in this podcast, that we are far from strangers. <laughs> Do you remember when we first met? Um, I think the first time we met was at, uh, I was at ADT and you were assigned uh, to help, help me as a second time uh, CMO. You were uh, a great coach, gave me a lot of great tips. And uh, that was our first first formal meeting. Now I will come back at you, Jim, and say, Hey, you know, you used to be one of those rock star CMOs. And so I'd come to ANA and, you know, aspire to be up on the big stage, like, uh, like you and others and, uh, uh, try to, to grasp some of the P and G knowledge and just the way that you guys were smart and going to market. So, but, uh, actually it was, uh, uh, 2013, I believe, uh, at ADT. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are now on the big stage, Tony, so you made it. Right? <laughs> and for, Careful what you wish for. Right. And for our listeners, the ANA is the Association of National Advertisers, largest trade association, I think, in the world for marketing and advertising. And they hold this annual meeting, or they used to before COVID, 
in October, which draws thousands of people. And sort of the best brands in the world get on stage and get in discussion groups and talk about what they've learned and what they're doing. It's a, it's a tremendously inspiring few days. And I can't wait till we get back to do it again in person. Yeah. You know, I'm fortunately uh, uh, just uh, was appointed to be on the ANA board. So it um, is really a honor to do that, to kind of represent our marketing function, our craft, but uh, we're having great success, I think, getting folks to virtual conferences and webinars and events. But there's nothing like being there in person, obviously, where you can connect with folks, have conversations, catch up with so many folks that you, you, know, you don't see just in your travels. So I'm eager to get back to uh, a, a time when we can have conferences and events and do that type of learning face to face. Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, I am honored to be on Tony's personal board of directors. <laughs> and I, I don't want to dwell on that, but I do want you to talk about that concept because I know a lot of leaders who have personal board of directors. I do as well, actually, and I come in and out of that. But I'd like you to, like you to talk about how that concept has been helpful for you, having a group of friends and colleagues who you can you know, talk to about all sorts of things. It helps ground you and provide you perspective. And when you have a tough career decision or a tough situation at, at work, even personally, you can call someone up and just say, hey, let me bounce something off of you. Let me get some advice or counsel from you. Uh, have you ever encountered this type of situation? And so uh, for me, Jim, you've been one of those folks when I've made kind of for probably since the time you started uh, coaching me and you served as a mentor. But I've also called you when I was getting ready to make career decisions or I think I last called you maybe in January and February. And I said, look, I'm looking to get smarter on creative and uh, mm -hmm. can you give me some books? And you, you shot yeah. me an email with a couple of uh, suggestions. So I've been very fortunate to have folks that um, are very diverse in their approach and their career um, backgrounds and functions. So I have a, uh, a guy, Mark Workman, who's kind of a uh, awesome thinker in the entertainment marketing space and uh, has actually also developed some wonderful career kind of counseling advice. And uh, somebody that worked for me, uh, a guy, Sidney Griffin, who's the CMO for the, the United Way out in San Francisco. And so he kind of knows what type of boss I am. And uh, and then, you know, Michelle Crosby is uh, someone that was a HR, um, a chief HR officer. And uh, she knows me as a you know, Myers-Briggs and uh, uh, strength finder type of uh, analysis so she can give me guidance. So it's just been really helpful to check in with those folks. And so I would really suggest everyone, no matter where you are in your uh, career progression, to consider kind of getting a board of directors and checking in with them, keeping them advised and uh, seek their counsel when you, you have some tough decisions. Yeah, I had the same when I left P&G and I, I leveraged them pretty pretty much when I left the company and tried to start my own thing. And they were enormously helpful, enormously yeah. helpful. So it's a, it's a very powerful concept that I think is under-leveraged. Yeah. And look, I, I, that, it, it's kind of a, a little cliche, but you know, feedback is a gift. And so when you have a board, too, that's giving you honest feedback, it's not just <laughs> telling you what you want to say. And I think a couple of times you've given me like, oh, I'm not sure about that one, Tony. Like, I'm not sure that's your fastball. So you just have to, uh, I think, have folks that know you and are going to give you honest, candid, because uh, uh, fierce conversations are, are are good to have. Okay, listen, let's, let's get into your career path a little bit that really, you know, sort of began at the Naval Academy. But if I have this right, Tony, it's taken, your career has taken you to seven U.S. states. 
and to four CMO type roles in really different companies. Mm -hmm. So you were at 24 Hour Fitness as CMO, ADT, the large security firm, Schneider Electric, and it may not be the most popular brand name in the world, but it's like a $28 billion you know, energy and automation company, as you know, and now USAA. So I want you, I mean, you know more about the CMO role, having seen it through four different companies than most people in the world. So I'd like you to talk about each of those experiences, maybe one mega lesson or one story that was influential to you as a leader in your development that helped, you know, define who you are as a leader today. Yeah, they, they all um, played a role in my development. I tend to look at career opportunities in kind of five-year increments. Mm-hmm. In fact, the longest I've been at any company has been uh, six years. But each of those uh, did something special for me. So 24-Hour Fitness was my first time being a CMO. I actually left Visa, a much larger brand, with the idea that sometimes you um, go lateral or even a step back. Uh, from a perception standpoint for a brand, because I wanted the opportunity to, to be a CMO. So I was able to do that there. It was very unique, too, that it was a private equity uh, play. Uh, Ted Forsman, who was just kind of legendary in the uh, in the PE world, and learned a lot from him just in terms of how he ran the company. And then we were there during the 08 to 12 recession. And so when you think about gym memberships, like when you're trying to meet your mortgage or pay your car, it becomes uh, something very quickly like you can go, hey, that's a disposable item. I can move off my budget. So uh, we were very fortunate to have 12 quarters of uh, growth. We did it by being very aggressive on cost. The learning lesson there was just the power of a a unified brand. What we had was a a founder-led organization that transitioned to um, a a management team brought in by, by Ted Forsman. And we essentially tried to and we were successful in unifying the brand, uh, expressing what was happening inside the clubs, connecting kind of the idea of service value chain with, hey, if your employees know what the mission is and they're taken care of, they'll extend that to your customers and then the financials will flow after that. And so it was a, a unique time re- from a recessionary standpoint. It was a unique time in terms of a founder transitioning to a management team. And then we looked to sell the company and didn't get the multiple, at least on the first pass that we were trying to to achieve. And so then there was just more more cost cutting that was going to happen. But it was a really great experience, a super regional brand. You know, marketing budget was 65, 70 million. So it was really good training ground to to, um, become a CMO. And we did a lot of very interesting things that served as platforms for us. So we had the Olympics, we had an entertainment tie-in with the biggest loser. And so then we had signature athletes like Shaq and Magic Johnson. So we had a lot of content that often as a super regional brand, you might not have. We were very fortunate that uh, we could put all those things into play to, to represent the brand. How did you punch above your weight to get those kinds of associations and affiliations? Well, some of them were just structured um, from a business perspective. Like, so for some of the athletes, they were licensing deals. So uh, as we did well, they did well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say something like the Olympics was just a big lean in. It's a category that was uh, not really sought after. There weren't a lot of national uh, fitness brands. And then we did a lot of in-kind 
act, activation in terms of building out the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and then the uh, training facilities actually at the Olympic Games that the athletes use. So, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes when you don't have a very large budget, so Jim, you're you're used to working with billions. <laughs> uh, others have to work with millions. Yeah, maybe. I get it. But sometimes when you don't have a large budget is when you can actually be much more creative and again look for building value on both sides of the equation. And uh, sometimes you can do that with in kind and and support. Yeah. So you jumped ADT, and that's where I met you. So talk about your lesson from that brand, which was also going through all sorts of management changes, as I remember. Yeah, very uh, interesting uh, situation. Um, it was a spinoff from Tyco, and uh, we went public in uh, October of 12, um, brand new management team. I, I think the learning lesson for me there was just uh, managing when you're a public company, the expectations of the street. I would say that um, we ended up with an activist shareholder that really uh, consumed a lot of calories for the management team, like managing through that. I think that if maybe we had uh, set expectations from the street around our growth and what was going to happen over the next you know, 12 to 24 months after we went public, maybe we would have had uh, the ability to kind of focus on the task at hand. And, and really, you know, that was leaving the nest of Tyco, there was just so much wiring and infrastructure that we needed to kind of rebuild to stand on our own. And it just was taking taking a lot of uh, effort, a lot of expense, a lot of time for all the IT and, and customer support and training and everything. It was just a lot there. And uh, we got off to a great start. But then, like I said, uh, the first uh, 12 months, uh, we, we ended up with an activist shareholder, which is sometimes those are good situations where the management team is challenged and they like, you know what, you're right. Other times they serve to leverage up uh, uh, the balance sheet and you don't get the same uh, impact. I would also say, though, that it was a unique situation from ADT went from being number one in share voice. So like 80 percent share voice and literally in 12 months. Uh, we went to fourth in share voice. And that was because AT&T, Comcast, Time Warner, all these big entities rushed into the home security um, and smart home space. They had networks, they owned networks. Um, and so between their large budgets, which were initiatives for them and their owned media assets, we just, it was a hard time for us to kind of be able to uh, to go toe to toe. What's happened since then is that they've all left the space and ADT is back in kind of the number one. And, and uh, I just read recently they've put together a partnership that we had originally started talking to Google with. And so I think that's going to be very uh, advantageous for them. But, um, yeah, that's the learning lessons just around managing the expectations of the street. And you always, from a competitive standpoint, have to watch how you're playing out in terms of share of voice because that, that really does matter. And lesson from Schneider, which is obviously a monster company, a B2B play, right? Yeah, it's um, global. Um, the lesson there is around this idea of dispersed management teams. I think we're finding that out a, a lot now. What I learned from Schneider is at the global level and then even at the North American level, none of the management teams were in the same place. So at the global level, uh, Jean-Pascal Trucois, who's the, the CEO, he's in Hong Kong with uh, the CMO, Chris Leong. Great. She's a great boss for me. Um, the CFO was in uh, London. Uh, 
Other folks were in pairs. Some folks were in the U.S. And we just worked around the clock. It was my first time really being in a visa was global, but it kind of hadn't gone public yet. And so it was my first time when you literally like I'm doing phone calls at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning because my, you know, my boss is in Hong Kong. But it was um, the power that uh, a well-aligned management team doesn't all have to be in the same place. And there's benefits from them seeing different market conditions, being closer to different customers and being able to come together as a team. It was the first place where I'd seen a, our CEO here in North America, Annette uh, um, Clayton. She didn't have an, she didn't really have an office <laughs> and I'd never seen that. It was, and I didn't have an, an office as a CMO. Like we, we went to whatever building, whatever location we needed to, and you check out an office and you don't get caught up in like having that. And my, I was in San Francisco as the CMO for North America and my uh, executive assistant was in New Jersey. And so it was a really unique uh, uh, kind of a precursor to what we're experiencing now a little bit. Good training for these times, as you say, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So then you, you're at USAA and I, you know, obviously we wanted to spend a good bit of this podcast talking about that brand and your experience there. You've been there three years and I just want to share with our listeners your scope. You were promoted this past summer to chief brand officer and I'm just going to read your scope, which is pretty amazing. It's kind of oversight leadership of marketing, military affairs, corporate communications, brand shared services, diversity and inclusion, and corporate responsibility, including the USAA Foundation and the USAA Educational Foundation. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as big of a scope as you can get in the middle also of very crazy times we're living in, you know, with all of the multi-level crises we're living with. So, with this three months into this expanded role and the situation we're all living in, where are you focusing? Well, uh, probably the number one thing we're trying to do is bring the brand together and unify it into one voice. I would say the challenges that we had before as a team was just marketing, corporate communications, military affairs, corporate responsibility. We would connect, but often it was when there was a crisis. Um, so government shutdown or um, something that happened at the corporate level or military holidays. So um, we missed a lot of opportunities to be better connected and tell the story. And the progression of our company in terms of it originally started as officers only, and then we expanded uh, membership in 09. We have, we have a very um, bifurcated audience at times. We have tenured members who are officers that have been with us 50, you know, 60 years in some cases. 
And then we have young currently serving that are 18 years old. And this is their first time being, you know, on their own, um, running their own play, learning how to, to manage their finances. And so we, we have a large continuum um, and a very small addressable market. So this idea of being unified in message and focused is super important. I would also say that um, that ties back to the fact that we don't have the dollars that some folks in our categories uh, have. We have to really be uh, the type of brand that's going to punch above our weight. And so that's kind of factoring into where I'm spending my time, which is unifying the, uh, the brand, being uh, getting all the parts to work together in unison and instilling that in, into the team to, to make that kind of the way that we work. Now, you talked about your lessons at Schneider working with a dispersed team. You know, we're, we're all working from di- different locations now. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your rituals, habits, practices as a leader that are working for you to kind of lead this wide-ranging team? I'm sure most of those areas have some, you know, ahead of military uh, affairs, yeah. ahead of corporate community. So how are you, what are your habits and rituals in leading in these times? Well, uh, first of all, Jim, I would say I'm really blessed with an unbelievable management team. Like um, you you hear that uh, a lot of times in business books, like get the right people and then get out of the way. And so I'm very, very blessed. We've got some unbelievable leaders um, for for our functional functions across the brand team. But I would say we're trying to do things that create and um, amplify the fact that we understand the challenges that folks are under and we're here to support. And I can give you some examples, but I will tell you in brand organization, for example, we've tried to set out the idea that, hey, no meetings before 8.30, no meetings after five, create a full hour for lunch from kind of 12 to one, allow people to shift their days if they need to. We're trying to start every meeting five minutes after the hour or five minutes uh, and we end five minutes before just to give people the chance to to get out. And we're focusing on like this idea of mind, body, and heart. And more than anything, um, this whole idea of getting 35,000 employees that work at USA to home, you know, we did it in under, I think, nine days. Everyone's set up, ready to go. We've been very fortunate. And more than anything, again, that idea of the service value chain, if we get it right for our employees, the rest will follow because they understand the mission and the purpose of our brand. They deliver great service to our members. And when that happens, the, the financials and the, the P&L, it just it, it happens. Tony, you've, you've seen marketing from so many different lenses. You're now at one of the top brands in the world, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, what what is what is the work and the role of marketing at USAA? This is an area of a lot of discussion in the marketing industry because you you jump from company to company and marketing looks and feels different. Yeah. And our listeners are endlessly interesting in what you do. You know what's the work of Tony Wells at USAA? I mean, if you had to put it into a pie chart, you know what would that look like? Oh, you mean the allocation of time? Yeah, allocation of time. Yeah, look, I, here, let me uh, let me zoom out a little bit. I think marketing is the job of storytelling with insights. That's that's what it is, and that storytelling capability, 
the mindset, the articulation of it is it changes over time. But at the end of the day, that's what we're here. We're here to tell a story about around how this brand USAA can uniquely help the financial security of the military community. That's my job is find ways to tell that story that fit a need that a member may have that convinces and assures the member that keeping their business with us is in their best interest and that we're going to do the right thing by them. And that that's my job. But I would say I, you know, we have a, a policy or a practice at USA that we call it Super Tuesdays. The management team, the CEOs, directs are all all day Tuesday. And um, there's things good and bad about that. The good thing is like Tuesday is the day that, you know, you're you're locked in meetings and, you know, we have good substantive conversations and it uh, allows you to free up the rest of your calendar to, to maneuver. Um, but it's a long day, but it's also good to know that you're going to have a chance to connect with all the senior leaders in the, in the company and, and talk about things that are important or going to matter. And then the rest of the, the week for me is connecting to, to the, to the team. So my directs staff meetings. So, Fair amount, you know. Obviously, with the Zoom world that we live in, we're it's all on on some type of uh, of call. But I uh, I really want to spend the vast majority of my time, hopefully, connecting with my team and trying to unlock opportunities or remove barriers for them getting their job done. That's that's really what I want to do. Tell me how and what I can do to make you uh, more successful. We spent, um, so we're 60 days into this new kind of recrafted brand uh, a team. And we spent the first 30 days just getting um, decision rights figured out. I wanted, um, and it's really um, comes from my experience as a Marine, something OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. Um, I think the Marines stole it from the Air Force, but it's this idea that the quicker you can make decisions, the more likely, at least in battle, that you're going to survive because being slow and waiting for all the information in in a, a battle situation is not <laughs> it's not a best practice. So um, we spent time trying to say here are the decisions that Tony wants to be involved in. Everything else, have at it. Now, if you think you're getting to a major strategic fork in the road, like hey, come check in with me. But absent this list, and I think there's. 14, 15 things on the list. Otherwise, all I want to do is hear from you when you need help. And we have this philosophy, which is, again, another military term, which is silence is consent. If you send me an email and you don't hear anything from me, keep pushing forward, making decisions. Now, I will tell you that I don't think USAA is the fastest brand um, that I've ever been in in terms of decision making. But I will tell you that COVID has played a tremendous uh, impact on how we're now viewing that. And, you know, it's that old saying, don't let a crisis go to waste, which is we have, we call it kind of COVID speed. We have sped up our decision-making ability. And I think also our, our, we always want to be compliant and manage our risk and make sure that we're meeting all the regulatory requirements. But there's so much other stuff that we do in addition to that, that we can speed up our decision-making. And so, we spent time getting those decision rights uh, really locked down and they're published and we shared them with the whole team. And then 
we brought some kind of management philosophies to the table. And I won't go through all of them, but like, hey, one of them is we want to make decisions at the lowest level possible in the organization because I'm assuming that that person is closest to our member and has a better line of sight <laughs> to what really needs to get done. And so that I think is really freeing. And then I've asked my directs to do the same thing with their team. I'm hoping that at the end of the day, people will realize like I'm unshackled here. Like if it's not over a million dollar decision, like we don't even need to bother Tony on this. Like we're moving out, like go get it done. And so um, we're hopeful. And that also comes with the accountability of making those decisions. But um, I think it's, it's uh, rather free. I, I, I want to kind of pause there, Tony, because that's such a profound point you've just made. You know, you're relatively new in this new role. You've, you, t- you took the time to get your team together in a way you, you sort of chartered it, and you've spent time on decision-making and roles and responsibilities and clarity in terms of people's scope. That is so important, and so many leaders blow by that. And what happens? There's confusion there's there's a frustration there's uh and that leads to low employee engagement so i just want to underscore what you just said i remember in my early days as cmo of png i went in to see my ceo and he said listen we do a lot of advertising png is the biggest advertiser in the world a lot of people will call me because they want an assignment or they have you know he said mm-hmm. i want nothing to do with our ad and media agencies it's all yours so if any call comes into my office about that, it's going to bounce back. So, but it was a real statement that here's clarity yeah. of what I'm going to be involved in, where I'm going to play, where I'm not. So, very profound. Yeah, wh- one of the things that you know drove that, quite honestly, is we moved diversity and inclusion. We're moving it into to brand. We also moved out strategy and corporate development, and then we changed uh, a couple of leaders. So. Very blessed at USA that Roger Adams, who's been a, a storied CMO, um, kind of started the modern marketing at USA, moved us from a direct mail house many years ago, and then he handed the baton off to, to Wes Laird. And, and then uh, we have a great CMO now, Maida Rivera. Um, so we have this long history. And so there's been some things in the DNA, but now bringing this brand team together with new leaders in corporate communications and new functions, we needed to kind of reset and reboot a little bit around like the expectations. And I'm quite honestly, I think a little, um, I want to give the team more rope to, to move faster. It's just the mindset, like let's move fast because again, as a challenger brand in many respects, we we've got to do that. You are the chief brand officer of one of the top brands in the world. And we, we referred to this about 10 minutes ago. You know, the USAA is at the top of almost every consumer ranking of brands in your category. It's super high in the trust barometer. And you're always putting such creative, emotional, high connection communication in the marketplace. And I'm not a member and I love watching what you do. So I just want you to speak a little bit for our listeners. What's the magic of this brand? You know, well, you know, you, I think you wrote a book on this. <laughs> I think, look, I, I think the magic of this brand is the purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think early on when people started, oh, brand with a purpose, I think everybody thought it was like maybe just another marketing term like synergy, like hey, you need more synergy. <laughs> um, this brand is about 
the military uh, empowerment, the military security um, of our military community. And I think um, if you went and asked our 35,000 employees to tell you what the mission statement was, I'd bet you a paycheck that 99.9% .9 of them would get it, you know, correct. They might get a word or two off or something, but they're going to get, the, you're going to get the gist of it. And the way that we approach that, you know, it's one of those things, culture can eat strategy when it's really done well. And so we have a very unique culture, but everybody in the building is a, a, aligned around the purpose of our brand, which is serving the military community and ensuring that, you know, ensuring their financial security, everyone. And when we do that, that's the basis under which we make, you know, all of our business decisions. And so how would this impact the member? Is this good for the member? Does this empower the member? Does this ensure their financial security? Those are all the filters that we ask. And then our culture has been built around this. So I've been a member for 35 years. So for me, it's a little bit like coming home. I've had every product almost, um, maybe other than an annuity, and I probably need to get one of those soon. But our employees are so focused on that and our culture is built around that. Uh, that's kind of our secret sauce because it's the part that really different uh, differentiates us in the marketplace. Every brand wants to be different, but that's that really our that culture and that focus on on a purpose. You have a special mission and a special history, but if you could give advice to other senior leaders about how to do what you're doing at your organization, what would some of that advice be? If you were writing a book about the magic of this brand, what would some of the chapter titles be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, purpose, I think mission, values. So it, it sounds like a bunch of Mayberry, RFD, you know, Andy Griffith, like, you know, Apple Pie, but it's really getting that, that's the, those are the secret ingredients in the sauce, like getting, you know, honesty, integrity, loyalty, service, um, making sure that the military community knows and understands that we care about them and that, um, and, and I'll give you an example on, on this one. There are a lot of financial services brands that if someone calls up and asks to get a car loan for 84 months, like that's a really profitable thing to do. Um, we will try to make sure that the member, like it's always the member's choice, but we, we're also going to say at the same time, like, hey, here are her options. And do you understand the, the, the costs associated with that? So we do some things that just are around at the end of the day doing what's best for the member. And that, that plays out so important, like in the insurance space, um, you know, with Hurricane Laura, there's a story of our property and casualty president uh, uh, visiting a, a customer. And this was a person that had been in the army for 30 years. He, had, he and his family had decided to kind of uh, gut out the storm. And, and our team sits outside the storm area, ready to come in. And one of the things that we want to do is like, this is a time when people are really like hope and despair, you know, it's there. It's like, it's, it's, it's tough. We want to get in and provide the, the, the best service and our, our employees volunteer to be in those situations. And we want to try to pay claims as quickly as possible. In the case of this 
this member, we were able to pay the full, um, their full claim in, in three days. And we showed up and they had a USA sign and like, we were like the cavalry riding in, but it's because we know, like we wanna pay what to do when you've paid insurance. Like you you don't wanna to go to battle with your insurance company uh, over, over payment. So it's just, it's in our culture, focusing on that culture and getting it right, I think is, is most important. Is there anything you do in measurement of your purpose coming to life that others could learn from? Yeah, look, I think we're very, very focused on uh, MPS, OSAT, um, measuring satisfaction at the channel level. And that is reported all the way up to the board. So when we have board meetings, we're giving them a readout. We also go to great detail to kind of scrape all the, the member sentiment and look for opportunities. I've been at a lot of companies, whether it be JD Power or, or MPS, and you're doing your monthly business review and you put the score up and, oh, it's gone up or down. I have to say for us, it's it's the first brand I've been at that it's really a religion or trying to understand the why and what specific actions a business can take to to correct it and and what are the leading indicators of something potentially going wrong. So it's just, like I said, visibility, putting compensation behind uh, the actions that are, are necessary and then connecting that back to the mission. Like we want to deliver great service because it supports our mission as a, as a company. How will your brand be different coming through this crisis we're all living through on so many levels? You know, we have a trust crisis in America, in many institutions. Of course, we have a crisis of environmental, look at the fires in California, a health crisis, economic crisis, racial crisis. So how will your brand, do you feel, Tony, coming through this, how will it be different? if at all? Well, I think one of the ways is the idea of speed. Um, I think we're trying to push decision-making down. We're trying to push accountability. We were very fortunate when uh, COVID hit. We, we had been tracking it as a insurance company. We have a unified command center that is ready for disasters like this. And so we, we had infrastructure stood up and we were able, I think, to move fairly, uh, fairly quickly. But speed of decision-making. And I also believe that we are very cognizant that um, the environment that we're operating in is, is changing. And things like diversity and inclusion, uh, ESG, um, environmental, societal, and, and, and governance, th those are all going to become more important. And I think we're going back a little bit to this idea of um, companies have actually more trust than some of our government institutions now. And what is the role of business uh, in society? What is the role of business in a community like San Antonio? And for a lot of our employees, um, some of these topics we've never talked about. Um, and I think going forward, there's going to be a real need to open up these discussions. I know when I was growing up, my dad said, hey, don't talk about politics or, or religion or anything controversial at work because it just, it goes nowhere and it'll, it'll kill your career. But we also know now that a lot of employees have been walking around with carrying a burden and to the degree that we want every employee to live up to their full potential, to come to work with their authentic self. When they can't do that, it, it holds them back. And I will say, pick on me. I've been in uh, corporate America more than 30 years 
I've had to, you know, hold back in, in some respects. Um, and I think now that I'm, you know, later in my career, I'm, 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 you know, changing that a little bit, but look, I'm a six foot seven African-American, 275 pounds. Don't tell anyone, Jim, but you know, I'm a big guy (laughs) and me raising my voice or, you know, pounding my fists on the table or, you know, it it can just have a very different message. And so I've always had to try to be very measured in how I, you know, communicate and conveyed myself. And so, but that's not who I'm, who I am always. I'm, I'm kind of an animated outgoing, you know, energetic guy. And so, you just want everybody to be able to live up to their full potential. And I think those are new things that we're talking about in the work workplace. And for some employees, that's really, really liberating and like, God, thank you. I've been, this has been a big weight on my shoulders. And then for other folks they are like, why are we, and we have to find a way to balance that, but do it in a way that I think uh, is mindful that we're, we're on a journey and that we want to have dialogue and conversation and as we've gotten into these topics uh, on the brand team, I've been just using three words to kind of really focus and um, guide our discussions, which, you know, is this idea of impact, intent, and grace. Mm-hmm. Knowing impact, sometimes your words have unintended consequences. Uh, so make sure you're, you know, thinking that through. The intent, like if I'm here on a session to learn uh, around, you know, the the phrase Black Lives Matter, which we've done, like, hey, I may not get it right. I may be asking a question. I I might have a different perspective of, you know, all lives matter or, or blue lives matter. And like, let's have a dialogue and let's understand that. Uh, so the intent and then grace, which is I might not always get it right, but please be a little forgiving. I'm here with the intent to learn and um, don't like, <laughs> don't pop off because I might have gotten a word or two wrong. Know that I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to lean into to this with me. So when we do all those things, like you can have some really rich, powerful conversations. Um, if we can all kind of leave a little bit of our ego and baggage at the door and say, I'm coming to this to learn. And I think what we're finding, because we're measuring our employee NPS, is that this idea of inclusion like we all belong, um, that is improving for us. And the feeling that management is transparent. So all these things are helping us, I think, be a better team. And again, let every employee live to their full potential. That was so so well said, Tony. And I must say, I'm interviewing lots of senior people in this podcast. And I, I think this is one of the silver linings of these very dark times right now with the health and economic and racial crisis. So much of what you just said is happening in many organizations. And I, I just think we will be a better society. We will be better companies. We will have stronger cultures coming out of this with these sorts of issues and the attitudes you just expressed you know, coming out in the workplace. And it's about time. Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, important we look at the three major constituents that we have employees, our members and the communities in which we live and operate. All three of those stakeholders have been inquiring or asking, you know, what's your position on this? How do you feel? Um, We know that lots of members, especially younger members are looking to brands that represent what they care about. And as they make brand choices, we know that, 
our city officials call up our CEO and want to have a conversation. How are things going? Here's where I can uh, use help. So we we have to. We can't sit back and 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 stay devoid of of these type of conversations. And so I, they're tough conversations requiring people to be courageous and lean in. But man, I I think we're gonna, uh, as you said, end up in a much better place if we can uh, stay open and um, and like I say, uh, have some grace. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Tony, I want to move to the last, last section of this podcast, which is a lightning round where we get, in, we get to know you better as a leader and get your perspective on some issues. And it's, some of these questions are light. Some of them are a little bit heavier, but it's, it's a, I, I love this part because it just it's, will show us a different side of all of our guests. The first question, what was the biggest adjustment when you started at the Naval Academy? You go to the Naval Academy from whatever 50 state or territory that you were selected from, and you were the big man on campus or big woman on campus from your high school, and you're showing up, and you've got a 3.9 and your varsity of this, and you get there, and everybody is of the same the same cloth. And so it was just the level of competition and how that stepped up. And now I'm like, wow, this just this went from being high school to, to college and a very tough situation in terms of just um, balancing basketball at the time with academics, with everything else, the military requirements there. So that was the biggest lesson, like, hey, you got to bring your A game and there's always somebody there that is going to be smarter or faster or um, more well, more well-rounded than you. And you, you just have to be able to adapt and overcome that. Who has been your greatest inspiration in your life? My grandfather, um, he uh, he was a janitor his whole life, and um, wow, like you get me a little uh, choked up on this one. Uh, fifth or sixth grade education. In fact, I don't think I found out until high school like that he couldn't really uh, read or write, but um, he worked three jobs including worked at the post office for 55 years. And I want you to think about that. 55 years, he retired after 55 years. So he taught me my work ethic. He taught me to never look past someone. Um, The value of hard work and personal sacrifice and putting your family before self. So um, yeah, my grandfather would probably be be that person. Was that in your dad's or mom's side? Mom's side, my mom's mom's side. side. Where, where did he live? What city or what town? Uh, Washington, D.C. So I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest habit change you've made during COVID? I've been able, I think, to get a little bit more serious about working out because uh, I don't have the commute anymore. And uh, I just uh, have realized that uh, that really keeps me balanced. At USAA, 
we have one of the largest office buildings in the country. It's almost three quarters of a mile from end to end. And so when we're at work, like you would get a lot of steps in just going from uh, meeting to meeting. And so I just had to kind of settle in that uh, getting that out uh, and getting that done in the morning is super important. What's your greatest strength as a leader? Man, you've got great questions for me today. I think empathy. I think walking a mile in someone else's shoes, trying to understand what motivates them, what they're experiencing. Um, so I hope, hope I, you know, hope I live up to that. I, I strive to be a servant leader, which is the idea that, uh, again, I was taught very uh, early to me in my career in the Marine Corps, which is, you know, a Marine officer is going to eat last and the junior person eats first. Um, you, you take care of your folks. So, yeah, I think empathy. That's what I hope. What are you still working on as a leader? I think uh, vulnerability, like, and that's kind of this being your authentic self. Like I'm putting myself out there and uh, I had an uh, old CEO who told me like, hey, you're so buttoned up, like nobody knows who you are. <laughs> I think folks knowing who I am, what I care about, what I'm passionate uh, and and sharing kind of who I am and not being afraid of that. And uh, I think that can make you an uh, an awesome leader. Who would you like to hear on the CMO podcast? Who would be really interesting for you to learn more about? Wow. So you've had some great guests, uh, you know, uh, Jen Say, uh, Jerry DeVar, Jill Gregory. Uh, I've worked uh, or, or know some of them. Good question. Um, I'd love for you to talk to some folks that are in kind of the startup private equity world. Um, very early in their brand's evolution, just to see what's different and new. Uh, there's always a tendency in the marketing field, like whoever has the biggest budget or, um, you know, the latest agency news or the latest creative is, you know, getting a lot of the headlines. I think it'd be interesting to talk to some, some startups that are mm -hmm. just um, getting going and just what's driving uh, brand recognition and brand success for them. So, so sorry, I don't have a name for you. No, it's, it's good. Just, no, it's, I think it's a great point and, and we will do that. And I think they'll have such a different perspective on, on the world and their work. So it's a good idea. So I want to give you the last word, Tony. Do you have any question for me before we close out? Yes. So you're seeing where P&G is going now. And I think Mark Pritchard's done some unbelievable work. And um, do you think that, their strategy around talking about life events, social justice is uniquely situated for their brand. And this moment, do you think other brands have the opportunity to replicate that again, assuming it's on strategy or is that something they're uniquely cut out to do because of their size, the breadth of product they, they have? Tell me, talk to me a little bit about yeah. your thinking on the work that they've done there. I mean, I'm very proud of what's going on at PNG now, and I'm proud of what Mark's doing and the team is doing. Uh, it's it's serious, it's authentic. They're following it up with action, and so I think it's a great inspiration for everyone. Can they do it uniquely? No, I think everyone should be asking the same questions of themselves and of their organization that PNG is. You know, PNG is not perfect. 
but they realize that it's their 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 employees care about these issues they're speaking up about their consumers care about them and it's the right thing to do png has those words do the right thing and other companies do too but it's been pretty baked into that culture for uh, you know 150 years mm-hmm. so uh it's a strong ethos of being on the right side of tough issues and so and you can look at their long history of making a difference in through the decades and human rights in social justice so it's real for them to do it and it's not a it's not a it's not a stunt mm-hmm. and and but i i don't i wish more companies would be doing that and i think png is setting a great example now and many people have told me if they can do it why can't we and so uh and i think this is one of the good things coming out of the times we are in your customers in most companies want to hear where you are and and i i, I as you said earlier i don't think it, anyone can sit on the sideline now and say we don't have a point of view that's not acceptable it's not what your employees or your customers want right so i think you know png sets the trends in a lot of areas because of their size scale globalness spending history and i'm very happy they're doing it here and it's not surprising to me and they will continue to do it and they'll continue to get better at it so uh so but i think everyone should be asking it starts with your employees go talk to them about what they care about and what their hopes and dreams are for your company. The answers are always there. Yeah. Tony, so good to see you again. So good Likewise. To, so good to catch up. This has been a, a wonderful discussion. And I just, uh, your organization's a great inspiration on so many levels. So thank everyone, your team, for what they're doing. Uh, I, I just think uh, it's a beacon for so many other organizations around the world. Great, great. And I end almost every every meeting I have it. uh at USA now with that uh, the sign off of be safe and wear a mask. So uh, Jim, do the same. And, I'm doing uh, both. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast. That was my conversation with Tony Wells. There was so much to learn in this podcast. The way Tony spoke about the culture at USAA and how they're centered on purpose and how every one of the 35,000 employees lives the purpose, knows the purpose, and finds the purpose meaningful. Tony talked about leadership what he's working on. He's working on his vulnerability and his strength is his empathy. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.